0: Amen. Holly didn't have a reader and Patrick didn't have a reader. And I just thought, well, I'll go and find one quickly. And then I realised there's lots of horrible place names in this reading. So I thought that would be a bit mean. So I'm going to say them with confidence and you're all going to think, oh, that's how you say them, but I don't really know. Anyway, um, before I read it, we are in our Acts series. It says on there, a church on fire. See if, as I read this reading, if you could figure out where that sermon series, sub-sermon series came from, not just the Acts bit, but the church on fire. We're going back to Acts chapter 2. Goodness, can't get my words out already. Um, so we're going back a few chapters to where we've got up to, but we wanted to leave this part of the reading out until it was the day that all the uh, churches across our nation celebrated, indeed across the world, celebrated Pentecost. So let me read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. Please do um, get them out on your church Bibles or in your apps if you want to follow. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated And came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they said to one another. What does this mean? Some, however, made fun and said, They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my, my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. So, before I get into my talk, I've got another story that I want to share with you. It's a story about a guy uh, named Gabriel who got to move into the home he grew up in with his family many years after he'd moved out. And as he moved back in, it was a home that had lots of very happy memories, very happy childhood, and he moved in and his his neighbour... um, whose children he used to play with uh, still lived in the property next door. He was very elderly at this point, but sadly only lived a few more months after they moved in until he passed away, and then new neighbours moved in. And things started to take a turn for worse. He met the new neighbours, but didn't seem to get on with them very well. Then they started making changes to their property. They put fences up around the house where before there had been none. They blocked off spaces that they used to share with their old neighbours when they were growing up and the children used to play in together. Further discussions and disagreement happened with the neighbours and their relationship kept deteriorating. Then more fences went up, and the neighbor even started adding to their property a new guest room and then a garage, blocking the view. The arguments escalated and came to a big, ugly head. After a particularly nasty argument, Gabriel thought, I'm going to get a land surveyor in. A land surveyor came, and it was determined that the property line ran down the new driveway and garage, His neighbour had just built. Filled with rage, this is what Gabriel did. It's coming, hopefully. He went out, brought a giant chainsaw, and when his next time his neighbour was out, literally cut the garage in half, and then erected a temporary fence where he thought the property line went. This happened, I think, about three years ago now, and it did happen in America. So the legal arguments are still going on even now. However, Gabriel, who did this, has admitted in the one interview that he gave that the way he behaved was not right. And the way his neighbor behaved, he also says, wasn't right. But he says, at my my neighbor's garage in half was not the right way to resolve my anger. I wish I'd handled the dispute in a better way. Now I suspect, and I hope as well, that no one here has ever taken a chainsaw in anger to anyone else's property. But I do suspect, however, if I ask you this question, most of us will nod in agreement. Have any of us ever wished we have handled disputes better? Maybe we haven't taken an actual chainsaw, but we maybe we feel like we have cut other people down with harsh words or horrible words that we have spoken. I'm sure all of us have done that when we admit it to ourselves. Perhaps there's many of us here as well who feel like we have been cut down by other people's horrible words or barbs to us. If you're in either or have ever been in either of those two situations, this talk is for you as we unpack what the purpose of the Holy Spirit is, all three of the purposes of the Holy Spirit, because there are lots. It is Pentecost, as we've talked about, so obviously I'm going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, but I want to look at what actually is the purpose of God's gift of himself to us, and a number of them link with our boundaries that we have in our life and the way we communicate to other people. So I'm just going to pray really quickly again before I go into these three points. Lord, we've heard your word. We've heard about how your spirit came and descended on your early church. And we thank you that the gift of your spirit is as available today as it was when it first poured out. Lord as I speak and as we look at this will what is may what is in tune with your spirit fill our hearts and minds that we may know you more deeply and have more confidence in who you are amen so the first thing i want to say about the purpose of the holy spirit is this is the holy spirit will increase your borders The Holy Spirit's, one of its purposes is to increase good interaction with the world around us. It increases the sphere of influence that we have. In Acts, shortly before our reading, the last words that Jesus are recorded as saying in the book of Acts are as follows. This is Acts uh, 1 verse 8. He says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. His disciples don't have a choice. Did you notice that? It's not you might do, but you will receive power. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. These are words that echo also the famous Great Commission that are part of our purpose and values are built on the Great Commandments and the Great Commission the Great Commission is in Matthew's Gospel and in it Jesus says go and make disciples of all people from all nations and ethnic groups but Jesus is making that clear here that that is only going to happen in the power of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes on his followers and these words of Jesus are, are quite daunting instructions but they're clear say it again. The Holy Spirit will give Christ followers power to take the message to the ends of the earth. Last time I checked, we all live on planet earth. It is our job to take the message out. Because if you've called on Jesus, you are filled with his Spirit. A long uh, time ago, when I was first able to speak or given the permission, authority, and allowed to speak uh, in churches, in sermons. Uh, After I'd done a few, um, I often used to talk about, when I first started, about how uh, gentle God is and how he's always caring about his children, that God will meet you where you are. And I did this for the first few times that I, I had these sermons. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's all true things. But this older and wiser person pulled me aside and gently but firmly challenged me. He said, whilst you haven't said anything wrong, he said, I don't think you're giving a full picture of God. God does indeed come and meet people where they are. He told the disciples, didn't he, in their story to to wait where they are. And he came and met them in the spirit where they were. But God's will is not for people to remain as they are or where they are. God's desire is for people to move forward. In your talks, he said, people need to know they have a God who's also powerful. He's with them in the moment. But a God who equips them, gives them courage and strength to step forward and step out in faith. If you've ever read the book, The Chronicles of uh, Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe one in particular, there's that famous question that Lucy, one of the children, asks about Aslan, who's the lion who represents Jesus in the books, just in case you didn't know. And she's trying to find out, she doesn't really know much about Aslan at this point. And she asks, Is Aslan safe? And she gets this reply. Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good and he's the king. Lucy and Aslan do indeed become friends. She gets to ride around on his back and have great fun and all that stuff. But it's not all so easy for her in the story and none of the other children's. They're on Aslan's side, but they have to fight and stand up for what is true and what is right. And that's the purpose of God's Spirit with us as well, that we might be on God's side. He might increase our borders, but as we do that, we get to stand up and be people that speak truth boldly and take it out from our safe places and we will undoubtedly i'm sure get into disputes as we do that but i hope we don't go out with chainsaws cutting things down in anger because one of the second purposes of the holy spirit is this the holy spirit is to give us words of wisdom in our reading from Acts, in verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4, it said this, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, this is not here a blanket promise that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to automatically uh, be able to speak in another language, either human or heavenly. We know that isn't true because later on in, in scripture, we have um, writings of, uh, of Paul in particular, writing to churches where it's clear that not everybody there does speak in different languages and he still says they are full followers of Christ. But we do have to take, I think, really seriously the symbolism of what happens here when the Holy Spirit comes for the first time. All the believers were empowered to speak truthful words about Jesus, words that were heard and listened to by all the people watching and seeing what was going on. This is kind of quite brown, groundbreaking stuff. Many Jews back then thought that when the Messiah uh, would come, all the other nations around them, all the other nations around them, would become subservient to Israel and, and they would rule. But instead we see something sort of quite different demonstrated here. God didn't just give them all one superior language to speak, but instead he gives a united message in all different languages so all people could understand. The thing that the Holy Spirit did was unite people under the person of Jesus and not under any human power. The Holy Spirit not only expanded the borders, but it equipped the disciples with words to speak out and speak truth in ways that were heard and understood by those around them. This is a promise of God that is for us too. Look at these other words from scripture if you don't believe me. Jesus says the spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit as well, will guide you into all truth. Another thing Jesus said, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. These statements apply to every single person that is in Christ without exception, and it must be true and right when you really think about it on a logical le- level. Because otherwise, how could the Church of Christ grow from a small group of ragtag disciples to the approximately 2.4 billion Christians that are in the world today? If the Holy Spirit has not enabled God's truth to be understood by many different people and nations. And yet, let's be honest for a moment, has anyone here ever felt that they have said the wrong thing? That they've tried to do the right thing by somebody and it hasn't gone how they short thought it should go? You felt God hasn't given you the words? Or it's just gone so, so badly? Anyone been in that situation in a conversation with anybody? Or is it just me? Hopefully it's not just me. What happens in those situations, those times and those places? There's many things that could be said and I don't have all the answers, but I just wanna make two observations about reflections I've had on very poor conversations that I've had. And one of the reasons why I think I've had conversations like that is because the fault was mine. I didn't allow myself to be guided by the Spirit in that moment. There were times when I just was more in, got more concerned about being right and my own thoughts took over rather than pausing and listening to what God might want to say to this person. I wasn't relying on the spirit to guide me in truth. And so I was unable to guide the person well. That's the first sort of thing I can say. And the second is this, because actually there are conversations where I really felt, you know, you can always do things better, can't you? But I really felt I tried to do my best, tried to be open to God, and they still didn't go right in my mind. What's going on there? Well, quite often in those, I just want to say perhaps my and God's idea of success of, 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 and of wisdom, perhaps, are different in a conversation. In my personality type and who I am, my measure of success after I've had a conversation by default is often, does the person still like me afterwards? And if they don't, I think, oh, what could I have done differently? Or perhaps even more, preferably after a conversation, is does that person think I'm right? Am I convinced by what I say? This, we need to remind ourselves, this is not a promise of God about... uh, how people respond to our words is not a promise of God at Pentecost we heard or if you read on you heard that many believed about 3,000 were added to the number that day but that was not everybody in the crowd there that believed in the Bible there are obviously a lot of people respond to Jesus but there are also plenty who don't not even Jesus himself Had a 100% success rate in his conversations with people. Sometimes his words upset people and made them not like him. The Pharisees, for example, most of them, anyway, ended up arresting him and sending him to the cross. Jesus' words of truth are incredibly powerful they increase the disciples' borders, and they're sharper than a two-edged sword. And we are encouraged with God's power to go out and share this life-changing message with the world. But not everyone wants to hear it. So that's two purposes of the Holy Spirit. But there's also a third really important Purpose, and it's one we can't forget. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to love. Now, I might need to explain that in picture if you're not born. Does it? Does anybody here recognise who that is? No. Oh, okay, it's just me. It's a bit of an '80s revival. You know, it's my my new favourite Netflix series. Not my new favourite. The new season of my favourite Netflix series, Stranger Things, is back on. It's a bit of an '80s sort of a bit of an 80s revival that is Jennifer Rush sung a powerful 80s ballad the power of love if you've never heard it listen to it at some point this week great great song I used to love watching her listening to her as a young 10-year-old in the 80s anyway given away my age there couldn't think what else what other picture to put up and that came up so I thought why not put it in for a bit of fun <laughs> I could have put you in, couldn't I? Yeah. Oh, never mind. You didn't come up on Google when I searched for the power of love. Anyway. Oh dear, I'm going to be in trouble. Right, where are we? The Holy Spirit gives us the power <laughs> to love. Uh, I don't mean, by the way, love. Love in the Bible is not some soppy romantic um kind of love or infatuation that we had with someone when we were 10 years old but a love that is strong that that seeks truth has patience and most importantly it it desires what is best for the other even at the cost of the self that's the type of love that Jesus modeled isn't it Jesus went around speaking to people His desire was to come and serve, to reveal the truth in love. He was kind to most people in a way that we would understand it and filled with grace. But he challenged and stood up where was needed. He looked with compassion on those who needed help. And he challenged those who were doing wrong to those in need in particular. But his desire in all those ways that he different-treated people was for the good of others and not for himself. One of my favorite verses about the Holy Spirit is from 2 Timothy. It's 1.7. It says this, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Some translations give that self-control as well. When I was young, I remember um, experiencing the Holy Spirit, often when I went away to festivals like uh, Spring Harvest and Soul Survivor, and absolutely amazing experiences. used to make me want to go back. I was hungry for more. Honestly, though, when looking back, I... You know, it was quite a selfish thing. You know, it's, don't get me wrong, it's absolutely amazing. It is the best thing you can do to be refilled and refreshed and know God's presence, God himself at work in you and the depth of his love for you. I don't, yeah, I really don't think there's anything better. It's the most freeing, yeah, most freeing experience of your life. And that is when you experience the work of the spirit, that's often what happens but something we must understand I'm trying to sort of talk about and make us think about as we look at the purpose of the Holy Spirit is that we don't just receive the Holy Spirit for ourselves so that we can experience more of Christ, even though that's a really, really good thing. But actually, it's also so that we can represent Christ more in the world. Receiving the Holy Spirit is like not a destination. You're not there when you've received it. It's a funnel. We receive it to go out, to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. I want to finish by, um, there's going to be an image of the queen, I think, going up here by this image of the queen. This kind of links in beautifully with what we're doing today and what's going on, or what we've been celebrating over the last, well, four days in particular, but it seems like quite a while now. This is an image taken from the Queen's uh, coronation ceremony 70 years ago. Coronations were quite public things, or that one certainly was. Uh, Apparently, two million people lined the streets of London for that. This was broadcast to millions of people, images seen all around the world by by countless many. Yet in the midst of that coronation, there is a private moment where the Queen is hidden from view from the public. The cameras looked away. This canopy was brought over and the Queen is sitting down wearing simple or plain white dress. And the archbishop goes under there and anoints her with oil. You know, anointing, that symbolic act. That is to represent sort of a, a deeper truth, a spiritual truth that is at work in us. That God's power and wisdom and strength are going to be needed on this person. That God's strength is needed for the anointing of which they are called to. And it's only after this anointing with oil and this prayer for God to be with her that her royal robes are start begin to be clothed on her. The queen, I believe, has been, we're all not perfect, the queen is not perfect, but she has relied on and trusted on God in her reign. And rightly, I think, is held by many to be a good sovereign. We all need God's anointing too. We all need to recognize that we need God's strength, God's power, God's wisdom, God's love in us. But as he anoints us, he does indeed clothe us with his strength with his power to go out and live for him privately and publicly as well. As we receive the spirit, let's receive it. I'm desperately longing to have a greater understanding of of the depth of God's love for us, absolutely. But let's also receive it with a desire that, and a prayer that God will increase our borders that he might give us words of truth and wisdom to speak and increase our love as well for the world and people around us, that we might make him known. Amen.